I also don't pay attention when somebody else leads the way. And that's why usually later on when I'm alone, I don't know where I am. To be honest, in all those 11 years as a tour guide, I'm still amazed that I always found my way back somehow. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Today I'm going to tell you about how I arrived on the beautiful island of Cyprus for the first time 38 years ago. Today, Cyprus is my home, my island in the sun, as I call it. It's the place where I built my nest, got married and watched my beautiful children grow up. Basically the place where I created a life that I absolutely love. And this is why I'm making this podcast, because I want to share it with you. But now, let's not get ahead of my time. Let's find out how it all began. After my summer season in Skiathos the year before, I needed to go to Athens to have this famous qualification interview with my supervisor to find out if the company had been happy with my performance. And indeed, they had. So much so that she suggested that I should be opening a new destination that was on the horizon. And I thought, that's quite an honor. If they think that I'm good enough to do that, I considered it a perfect opportunity. And I have always known that some opportunities only appear once. You just have to say yes and then figure it out later. And this is what I did. So without knowing what this was all about, I had agreed to go to Cyprus in a year. And of course, in today's world, you would just Google it, wouldn't you? But in the 80s, there was no Google. There was no internet. There was only one thing that one could do, and that was buy a book or go to the library and borrow a book. And this is exactly what I did. I started reading about it. And as I was reading about Cyprus, a couple of alarm bells started ringing in my head. I found out that Cyprus had been a British colony and that the Republic of Cyprus, as it's officially called, is the third largest and third most populous island in the Mediterranean Sea after Sicily and Sardinia. And that meant two things. Number one, it meant that they were driving on the wrong side of the road. Of course, they call it left-hand traffic. And the other thing was that the island was a lot bigger than I was used to. Those Greek islands where I had worked and used a moped were a lot smaller, and I realized that I would have to drive long distances, and I wasn't exactly a very experienced driver. I had passed my driver's test, of course, when I was 18. But apart from a little driving in the winters in Switzerland, I was definitely no Michel Mouton. Anyway, I had to go. I had agreed. I had to take up the challenge. I would have been far too proud to change my mind. So in March 1982, I got on board of a BAC 111, an aircraft with a very low range of the airline called Cyprus Airways to fly to Larnaca. 
These aircrafts couldn't fly from Zurich to Cyprus in one go. They had to do a stopover in Athens. And I remember it was just a stopover. We didn't leave, we didn't leave the plane. But I was looking out the window in Athens and I thought, oh, here I am again. Because during the strikes the year before, I had to go to Athens all the time. But then we went on to Larnaca. I loved Cyprus Airways. And over the years, they bought Airbuses and they turned into a beautiful airline with friendly and multilingual crews. But unfortunately, like so many others, were mismanaged. That's what I think. And um, you may not agree with me. Um, and they had to close in 2015. And I was so sad about that because I really loved it. And I wish I knew on how many flights I had actually been with them. I admire those people who actually keep boarding passes and those people who keep track on their flights. Unfortunately, I have never done that, but it would be interesting to know. But let's go back to my first arrival in Cyprus. So after the plane had landed at Larnaca Airport, I collected my luggage and walked out into the arrivals hall. And there was a man waiting for me with a board with the logo of my company. And as I walked towards him, he said to me, Hello, Lisa. In all the 22 years of my life, nobody had ever called me anything else but Elizabeth. And suddenly this man called me Lisa. I was quite intrigued by that and of course also a little overwhelmed to object. I just didn't say anything. And the funny thing today is that everyone who knows me from the 80s, from the times that I worked in tourism, still calls me Lisa. And all the people who met me later when I came back to live here in the 90s, they call me Elizabeth. So when I meet somebody, I don't really need to think for a long time, you know, where do I know this person from? I usually know that it's, if it's Lisa, it's from tourism. So the man who called me Lisa drove me to my apartment in Limassol. Limassol was going to be my base, the place where I was going to live. It was late and dark and I had a look around, opened my suitcase to take out my toothbrush and whatever I needed and went to sleep. When I woke up the next day and opened my curtains, I thought that I had died and gone to heaven. My apartment building was directly on the beach, just separated by a road. It was beautiful and the Eastern Med was just so blue. One thing that has always fascinated me here in Cyprus is the light and the colors, especially in the winter when there is no humidity. It is fantastic. So that morning I got dressed and run down the stairs to put my feet in the water. Later in the day, I was picked up by somebody from the agency and taken for lunch. And in the afternoon, there was a carnival's parade. I hadn't known that Limassol was a carnival's town and I loved it. The next week, I had to start working. Somebody from the agency was showing me around and they were driving me in their car to all the hotels that I needed to visit. Some of them were in Larnaca, some of them were in Protaras, some of them were in Ayanapa. 
if you know Ayanapa and think about what it is, the party place, the crazy place where everybody comes to uh, party and drink, it wasn't that. In the 80s, at the beginning of the 80s, Ayanapa was a fishing village. There were a couple of hotels, I don't know, maybe three or four. And there were some tavernas and some shops, but there was nothing else. Everything around Ayanapa was fields. But you could see that there was a lot of development starting. It's fascinating to see all these things grow over the years. So I was driven around and I enjoyed being introduced. I met all the hotel owners, the hotel managers, everybody that I needed to get to know. But I have a bad habit and that is that I don't pay attention where we go when somebody else drives. I also don't pay attention when somebody else leads the way. And that's why usually later on when I'm alone, I don't know where I am. And to be honest, in all those 11 years as a tour guide, I'm still amazed that I always found my way back somehow. Now, one thing that needed to be done was a work permit. So we had to go to Limassol Immigration, and that was a story because in those years, there was no EU. We needed a work permit wherever we went. And the paperwork, the paperwork, that's such a long story. Every time I went there, they needed something new. And when I came back with that paper, they needed another one, but they couldn't tell me before that they needed both. So getting a work permit. And the, the worst was that all those work permits were only for six months. And because the season is longer in Cyprus, it's more than six months. Then in September, around September, I had to go back and repeat and apply again. My company had also decided to buy a car. They thought instead of renting a car, it would be better to buy a duty-free car. Because of my status, I had the right to get a duty-free car, which we did. The budget was only enough for a small Fiat Panda. And I remember getting that white Fiat Panda. I remember the number plate, NE803. And of course, nobody had thought that it may need an air conditioning. In those days, air conditioning was luxury. And the summers here get extremely hot and humid. But it's funny, when I think back, I don't think it bothered me. If you told me today that I would have to spend the summer here in Cyprus without AC, I would come tell you that you are insane and that I am not doing that. But at the time, it was fine. In order to do all those formalities, I needed an ID. That's something funny here in Cyprus. The ID, the identity card, is like your way to anywhere. If you tell your ID number, people find you. And somebody from the agency took me to this governmental office and they issued an ID for me. It was handwritten, I remember. And I needed to tell them the name of my father and my mother and I was far too embarrassed to tell them that I don't know my father. So instead of giving them the name of my mother and telling them that I don't know my father, I gave them the names of my grandparents. And that story backfired many years later when I applied for my Cypriot citizenship and I had to supply an, um, a birth certificate. Of course, on my official birth certificate that came from Switzerland, there was only the name of my mother and it was not the same like my grandmother. So I actually had to go to court and swear 
that this was the real thing and that I had been lying in 1982 when I got my first ID. So let's come back to traveling on my own in my new car, the first time going to Protaras to visit a hotel. Now, distances in Cyprus are, of course, much bigger than a Greek island. But looking at it today with all the highways that we have, you can actually drive from Limassol to Ayanapa in probably about an hour and 10, 15 minutes. But in those days, there were no highways. And the road from here, from Limassol to Larnaca, halfway, also goes to Nicosia. Nicosia is the capital of Cyprus. And all the goods arrive at the port of Limassol. So all the goods, all the containers needed to be transported on the road from Limassol to Nicosia. And those were lorries, length of lorries. And some of the roads went uphill. So when they were transporting heavy containers, they were like driving with 25 kilometers an hour. And you needed a lot of patience to drive behind those lorries. You couldn't overtake. It was too dangerous. Sometimes I did. And I still think that it's pure luck that I'm still alive with all the driving that I did in those years and the way I drove. Because, of course, after a while, I started becoming very daring. And um, looking at it today, it was such an adventure. Because now it's easy. Now it's just a highway. The first time I went to Protaras to visit the hotel, I got lost in the village of Baralimni. I couldn't find the turn. And it was 10 o'clock. I was supposed to be at the hotel at 10 o'clock. And I was driving around the village crying and had ended up, had to ask a taxi driver to drive in front of me to take me to that first hotel. And that taught me a lesson to be a little bit more careful the next time somebody shows me something. Of course, eventually I got used to my hotels, I got used to my car, I got used to my driving, and I became quite a professional Cypriot rep. But then, at the end of April, a new adventure was awaiting me. I wanted to go and pay my rent for my apartment, and I met with the owner of the apartment and told him that, um, I don't know, as we were speaking in the conversation, I told him that I would only be here until probably end of October, maybe November. And nobody from the agency had told him that. He was of the opinion that I was renting this apartment for a few years. So when he caught that, he said that this is, if this is the case, the rent is going to be a lot more expensive. And he mentioned a substantial amount. So I had to get in touch with my company in Switzerland and tell them that the rent is not what it is. It's this, it's this much higher. And they said, no, that's not possible. We cannot pay that. That's not in our budget. And they told me that I had to move. So my dream in my beautiful apartment on the sea was shattered. And I had to start looking for an apartment at the beginning of May, where everybody else was already established. So there was no one to share with. And in 82, which was only eight years after the invasion, there weren't many apartments available because after the invasion of the Turkish army in 74, 200,000 Cypriots from the north had to relocate to the south. And most of them came to live in Limassol or in Larnaca. 
So it was so hard to find an apartment. I was looking at so many places. They were either horrible or too expensive. And at some point, I just had to decide. And I, I, I ended up in a studio, which had a little kitchen corner and lots of cockroaches, but I had no other choice. So I took it and I stayed there for the summer. And having said that, let's be honest, how much time did I spend in my apartment anyway? I was either working or on the beach or on the dis in the disco, mostly just coming home to have a shower and going back to work. So it was okay. But I had smelt the idea of what it would be like if I stayed somewhere nice, because that first apartment had given me a taste. One other thing that bothered me was that whenever I spoke to somebody in Greek, they always replied to me in English. I had learned Greek in Greece before I came. And then I realized here in Cyprus that, first of all, Lots of people had studied in England, and because Cyprus had been a British colony, everybody spoke a little English. I was actually getting worried that I would forget my Greek here. The thing about Cypriot Greek is that it's not really a language of, of its own, it's a dialect. And the difference between Cypriot Greek and standard or common Greek, or the Greek that they speak in Greece, is mainly a few words and a lot of phonological differences. In some cases, Cypriot words are exactly the same with ancient Greek words. So I didn't want to lose my Greek. I also hated it when people called me Inglesa, because going back to the colonial times, an Inglesa was simply an expression for a, for a foreign woman, because most foreign women were English, but I didn't know that. And I thought that they were calling me English and I always corrected everybody and I always said, I am not an Inglesa, I am from Switzerland. But of course, all these things sound funny later on when you find out what it's all about. But the whole language thing bucked me so much that I found a Greek teacher and I started taking lessons. I don't remember, once or twice a week. And this helped me later in life. The fact that I had learned such good Greek gave me the opportunity to work as an interpreter for the um, Cyprus Police Association for over 15 years. But that's going to be another episode, my adventures with the Cyprus Police Association. Now we're still in the first summer, summer of 82. Let's go back. I want to talk about the famous Cypriot hospitality. The Cypriot hospitality is legendary and beautiful and especially in those years, tourism was new. People were so generous and so humble. Everybody who was working in my agent, in the, in the agency that represented me, eventually invited me to their homes. They wanted to show me their hospitality. They wanted to introduce me to their people. Wherever I went, I was always welcomed with open arms by the whole family and not allowed to leave before I was completely stuffed with their amazing home-cooked food. Usually, I also left with a few plastic containers filled with leftovers that should feed me for a few days because their mothers or grandmothers were feeling sorry for me, for this poor girl from Switzerland who lived on her own and nobody cooked for her. 
I got to taste their gubepia. Gubepia are the Cypriot form of dolmades, stuffed wine leaves with rice and minced meat, or moussaka, which is eggplants with bechamel sauce and minced meat. I love yemista, all the stuffed tomatoes or stuffed peppers. Burguri with afelia, which is the Cypriot way of bulgur wheat. Macaronia du Furnu is also a Cypriot expression for something called pastizio in Greece, which is pasta with bechamel sauce and um, minced meat. It was just heaven, food heaven. Sometimes in the evening, we went out with the office or with some other friends for a kebab, and they had these kebab stands where they were grilling the meat outside in the in the open. They still do that today, but at that in the, in those days it was very common. So you got this nice grilled pita bread filled with souvlaki and salad and tzatziki, and it was so cheap. I think a pita with souvlaki today is about six, seven times more expensive than it was in 1982. Everything here is connected to food and there is always plenty of it. And there is always something to celebrate. One thing that is important in Cyprus, and I think it's the same in Greece, are name days. Name days are actually more important than birthdays. And one of the most important days on the island of Cyprus is November the 30th. It's the name day of Andreas. So many male Cypriots are named in honor of the Apostle Andreas, whose monastery is located at the tip of the island in the occupied area of Cyprus. It's a beautiful place, a monastery at the end of the island, just overlooking the sea. When our tourists used to ask us what they should eat, we always used to recommend for them to go and have a messe. A messe is all the dishes that exist in the Cypriot kitchen in one go. It's a lot of food. Sometimes it can be plus minus 20 dishes. And unfortunately, most people are not able to finish everything. And um, it's, But it's, it's a way to find out everything about uh, what's available including the famous halloumi cheese, which is very local to Cyprus. It's this cheese that sounds like, sounds like rubber when you eat it, but you can grill it and it's tasty and delicious. One subject that was very sore still in 1982, and it probably still is, but now so much time has gone, but then it was very fresh, was the Turkish invasion, the invasion of the Turkish army and the occupation of one third of the island. 200,000 people had lost their homes and they had to relocate either to the south of the island and a lot of them left the island and moved abroad. The people that I met who had come from the north were talking about it and telling me how beautiful it was. And of course, I wanted to know. In those times, locals couldn't cross. The borders were closed, but foreigners could. So with a friend of mine, we crossed the border in Nicosia. It wasn't allowed to take the car at the time, but we were allowed to walk over and then take a taxi and spend the day on the other side. 
and the taxi driver took us to Kyrenia and to Famagusta. Those were the two places that everybody had been talking about. And it was indeed very, very beautiful. Of course, today people can cross, everybody can cross. But in those days, it was quite unique. And I remember when I came back that night, all the friends wanted to know what it looks like. And I had taken photos, but it wasn't like now where you can just take out your phone and show the pictures. I had to take them to the shop first to be developed. And everybody was waiting to see. So my summer... My first destination in Cyprus was going well. I had gotten used to everything. I had made friends, lots of friends from other tour operators, other reps who were from various countries, but mostly also my friends from other Swiss uh, tour operators. We started going out a lot. We went to the disco. There was a place called Venus Disco, which was open air, great fun. And we spent a lot of time in the the nightclub of the Asteria Beach Hotel. We got invited to events and this is something that I really liked. Because we had an agency and the people from the agency got invitations, we were taken out as well. For the first time, I started feeling that they were taking me seriously and I loved that. It gave me a lot of confidence. And on our days off, we started exploring the island. We went to stay in Paphos because we would find somebody who had an apartment in Paphos. We would either sleep on their sofa or on the floor. We went to the mountains, sometimes stayed in one of those little hotels. Or we went to Ayanapa or to Protaras and we knew somebody there. And that was just the beginning. I had only just discovered Cyprus. I had had a taste of it and I wanted more. And I knew that I would ask my company to come back the next summer That was not always guaranteed, but usually when they were happy with our performance, they would allow it. I had also met somebody who lived in an apartment block, which I really liked. And this block had four entrances. And at the end, I saw a sign saying for rent. And I called up some lady who owned the apartment and I asked her how much she would want if we rented this apartment all year around because I had learned my lesson not to tell anybody anymore that we're only coming for a season. And she gave me a very good price and I made a deal with her. I rented that apartment. I had spoken to my company and I rented that apartment. I think it was already October and I knew that when I come back the next year, I would be living on the sea. Because that block of apartments called Anacourt is still one of the nicest locations in Limassol today. And I knew that now I had a place to stay in Anacourt. Little did I know that I was actually coming back earlier because Cyprus started appearing in the winter program as well. But let's talk about that in another episode. I think that's enough of Cyprus in one go. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You can find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to know more about what I do, check out my website www.thesoulkit.com.